Peace, y'all. A quick disclaimer before we start this off. Um, so the East Coast got hit with a pretty wild storm while Topaz and I recorded this episode, and it gave the internet the runs for a little bit. So some of the audio wound up getting corrupted. I've edited it down to the best of my ability, and things should really be fine, but I couldn't let this shit go out and not say anything because even with my editing, it's still kind of noticeable in some parts. So uh, this is me acknowledging that. <laughs> um, thanks for understanding. Y'all are great. Uh, we back at it again on Real Notes. Eee! What's good, y'all? My name is Dylan Green, and this is Real Notes, a space dedicated to blurring the cultural and artistic lines between rap and film. I'm here to chop it up with everyone from rappers and producers to journalists and video directors about their relationship to movies and how, if at all, film inspires their craft. My guest this week is New Jersey rapper, producer, vocalist, and director Topaz Jones, a fellow native of Montclair, New Jersey. We talked about being from the 973, what movies he's been watching during quarantine, being inspired by Kanye West's Runaway movie, finding the courage to be vulnerable on record, and the creative process behind his latest album, Don't Go Telling Your Mama, and its accompanying Sundance award-winning short film of the same name. Come fuck with us. Peace. What's up? What's cracking? Welcome back to Real Notes. <laughs> um, Dylan Green, Cinema Sci, um, Montclair Sun. I've got another Montclair Sun on the line with Sir. me today. Every single guest on my show is a special guest because they're all great. But this one is incredibly special and very near to my heart. Um, we got fucking rapper, producer, fucking lover of sour belts fucking topaz jones in the building in the place to be um what's up bro sure. thank you for coming on my shit i appreciate I'm, this so i'm grateful much. to be here bro you know this is just like two two montclair kids talking hopefully we don't make this like a super insular new jersey conversation but you know it's amazing to watch both of us grow hell yeah man like it, it's it's been like I like I remember when the honeymoon suite first came out and just like wow. seeing 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 where you've come from then to now like like you're still there but you're just um you've grown so much like that's all i can really like you've just grown so much man and it's really been a pleasure to watch you go thank you man yeah i think i I used to be really afraid of kind of growing in public and people being like i think i still to a degree i'm very private about the work i'm doing like in between records sort of and i always just kind of come back as this sort of like revitalized uh new self but uh, every every new project, I, I grow to appreciate the journey more. And, and you know, it, it is nice that people can kind of go back and see where it started and where it's at now and, and see like a clear progression. Right. Yeah. And like, it's really on you. Like at the end of the day, it's on you how much you want to let people know. And this is this is like, this is probably the most bare you've ever been outside of like Untitled from Arcade which mm. is my favorite song of yours to this wow. day still. Like, I don't wow. know why, but that shit really just gets me. I just like, it's just you on a piano and I love it. And just like, you just, you just let it go. Yeah. That's a special one, man. It's interesting. It's like, uh, I, I had to slowly learn how to be like, how to be okay with just like being me. And, you know, a lot of like, even on arcade, I hear shit that's just like, blatantly me trying to like reverse engineer outcomes and, and responses from certain uh, factions of different different audiences, you know, across genres. And like, 
some of that was helpful just to kind of try that and like realize like you know like it ain't really up to you how people respond anyway so you might as well make the thing that's true to yourself and, and that's what this project you know don't go telling your mama is all about right so before we get it so before we get into the project and the movie proper i'm gonna start this the way i start all my shit off so when was the first time you remember going to the movies oof the first time i remember going to the movies or the like watching a movie theater first time watching a movie i remember so like back in the day like you know it's funny we feature pathmark uh or like lack on a plaza that used to have the pathmark in uh in mm-hmm. the film a lot and there was a part that didn't make it into the film where I was like actually on the phone with my mom and we were talking about how when I was a kid, we used to like, when it was a special occasion, we would like go to to Lackawanna Plaza to the Pathmark and there was like a, a West Coast video, it turned into Hollywood video later, but there was a video store next door and we would go yeah. get like crab legs from the Pathmark and then get some movies from the from the video store and come home and lay down like paper towel in the, I mean, not paper towel, uh, newspapers in the living room and just like eat crab legs and watch movies so it's like i always i always think of that and when i think about the movies i was probably watching i remember like i remember like nutty professor like a lot of that like eddie murphy shit a lot of like the like early chris rock movies are just like really burned in my brain i remember i watched vampire in brooklyn really early and that gave me like nightmares (laughs) (laughs) but like a serious movie I, i don't know man I can, I can remember the movies that like impacted me super hard as a kid, but as far as the first one, that's hard to call, man. Maybe like 89 Batman. That was like a real, that was the one for me, you know? Yeah. I mean, I get it. Like, like between like the costume and like seeing like Batman and the Joker on the screen and like the Prince soundtrack, like, right, like, right. How, like, like how could it not come together? So I feel it. Yeah, wow. absolutely. Man, like. And oh, it's so crazy that you bring up that West Coast video because there was another one. There was another one on um on fucking uh Watchung. Yeah, the um the yeah. bank across the street from Mr. Dino's. That used to be a fucking West Coast video too. Wow. wow. Yeah, like that's oh shit. Wow. Yeah, now yeah, now I'm just thinking like I was just talking to I was just talking to my girl and I were talking about this maybe like um three weeks ago, like because we just watched that blockbuster uh, documentary on Netflix. Oh yeah, I watched and it too. It's crazy, and just like thinking about, like it got me thinking about all the different video stores that used to be like in the area, because like you had Town Video on Valley Road, you had the West Coast Videos, the one by the Lackawanna Plaza, and then the one on Watchung. Mm. You had the blockbuster on Claremont, that's a children's gift shop or some shit. Now I forget. Wow. <laughs> like and yeah like just like so many so many like so many of us made so many memories in all those places and like they just traveled all over town yeah even when it was like the i remember we had like the vhs rewinder machine that you put it in and like hit the button and it rewinds it like i used to get a lot of uh a lot of joy out of doing that to all the VHSs, man. Even when in the doc, when they're talking about like the smell of it, like it's really like you can remember the scent, you know? Yeah. I wonder if we do see like a thing where where movies and like renting physical movies come back in the way that vinyl does. But I, you know, I'm, I don't know if that's going to happen or not. We'll see. Like, I like to think it will because nobody thought vinyl was going to come back either. And then right. out of nowhere, like it's 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 selling like crazy now. Like it's it's selling mm-hmm. better than CDs, which is like wow. I never thought that would happen. So yeah. and people like even like cool quote unquote cool artists are starting to put out like CDs again too, which I think is interesting. 
Yo, I literally just like I just bought a um Arm and Hammer CD. Like it's uh, 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 um, it came in yesterday. Like shout out shout out to Woods and Elucid and the Alchemist. Um, so uh, the, so so like back to Batman. Like I was gonna ask like what the movie was that kind of made you fall in love with movies. Like would it be safe to say that like Batman was the one for you or? That's a good question. I think. Um... I think it probably was Batman. I think, you know, I, I went through a series of obsessions as a kid. So even like, I'll tell you this too. There was a phase I went through where I was like obsessed with wrestling. There was a phase I went through where I was obsessed with Santa Claus. Like I used to watch uh, Tim Allen, the, uh, the Santa Claus. And it's funny. I rewatched it this, um, this Christmas with my girl and her family. And I was like, damn, like the reason why I connected this movie so hard is it's low key, a movie about children of divorce. And I didn't peep that subtext the first time I watched it. I think that actually might be the first movie that really got to me. Because, like, after I saw that, I was, like, in my room uh, with, like, a pool noodle and a bunch of pillows aligned like a fucking, uh, like, uh, reindeer. And I was, like, pretending to be, like, Santa (laughs) on the sleigh. But then after that Batman, like, my Batman phase was crazy. Like, I just wanted to wear a Batman costume, like, every day of the week. And, like everything from like Jack Nicholson as the Joker to the Prince soundtrack, like to, you know, it just like, it was the most like stylized film I had seen, you know, like the fact that someone could really have like, like the feeling of that Gotham was so on point. Yeah. And like, it felt so tactile and like the music really, the music really helped to amplify it. Like that was, uh, I haven't seen it in years, but that was that was definitely one of the first like superhero movies I saw that really was like, wow, like I'm watching it happen on screen. And yeah, um, I want to go back to what you just said about the Santa Claus being about children of divorce, because I had thought <laughs> yeah. about that before. I'm also a child of divorce. My parents separated when I was about, I want to say 11, maybe word, 10. Word. I forget. So, um, wow. Like what what did you see in that that made you kind of like like where did that come from because i'm really like you just kind of blindsided me with that yeah so there's like (laughs) this whole dynamic that's happening of uh the kid um his mother his father's tim allen and then there's this other guy uh i'm forgetting his name now because i wasn't thinking about this movie before we, we talked but right um uh damn what is his name i don't know it doesn't matter but there's this new guy that's sort of like the mom's boyfriend and there's this tussle in the beginning between tim allen and the new guy until tim allen becomes fucking santa claus and then the kid is like all of a sudden like really obsessed with his dad and wants to spend more time with him and he's got this new purpose you know he's got like you know he's doing things he's like helping kids everywhere and now this kid wants some of that love for himself and i think like for me like as a kid like you know my dad's a musician and when he left the house, it, it became this thing of like, I don't want to like feel like I'm choosing my mom over my dad, you know, yeah. and um, every that was embedded in kind of every decision I made. And, and even like in making this album, I, I had to question like how much of myself like becoming a musician was was strictly like my own decision and how much of that was sort of this kind of a reaction to my environment, you know, being around so many musicians and also like having this kind of uh, split in my uh in my in my household and wanting to preserve the like the energy and the and the memory of 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 my my dad is like this like personal superhero right that shit is real because my dad is also a musician and uh he yeah like 
like my parents uh my parents separated but like he stayed in Montclair and my mom kind of moved around a whole bunch she was in Mm -hmm. South Orange and then Glen Ridge and then back in Montclair for a bit so like I never like there was I was lucky in the sense of like there was never like my parents never made it so that like they that that they were like fighting over us they never made us choose and Mm -hmm. that was uh I think about that now and I really appreciate that you know because like a lot of because I've heard so many stories about people who's just like I've I've seen and heard that type of shit and for sure I and like I haven't seen the Santa Claus in a long time but um now that you're like I'm thinking about it and wow that really is like that's a movie about divorce like wow Yeah. yeah it's worth checking out again you know I guess like next holiday or whatever I had never seen Home Alone either so I watched the home alone and home alone too i was just like binging holiday movies at the time because i've just been like i've watched more movies this year probably than i have in a single year in my life man (laughs) why do you why do you think that is is it because of quarantine or like was there any other like specific reason in the beginning it was because of quarantine but i already kind of had this budding uh like desire to get more into into film and have a better understanding of a wider range of films um and then once we decided that we were making a film then it kind of became like, all right, I really want to step into this more, more uh, full footed and like get like a real feel like there's a lot of the same way. Like I'm get I'm blessed in that I'm getting to do now what I got to do for music in high school, which is like go back and start to like study a lot of the classics. And, uh, you know, like like it, I didn't I didn't peep like a full Beatles album, a full Led Zeppelin album, you know, a full Tribe Called Quest album until super late. Like I didn't hear Illmatic till I was 17. Mm. And uh all of that like really helped me kind of like taking in a lot of the canon in a short concealed time like gives you a different perspective on all of it and like you kind of get to like flatten time especially with streaming now you can listen to like things from like six different decades in the span of 10 minutes you know right but with film like I was just like like I went back and I watched like all the Spike Lee films I watched like all the Stanley Kubrick films I was just kind of like people were sending me weird shit that's how I ended up we talked earlier about me watching uh like the Ari Adster films and uh, Todd yeah. Solins and, and a lot of these people <laughs> that are like more on the on the fringe and and I got a lot out of that too you know yeah like the first time uh, um, yeah I'm happy you brought up the Todd Solins shit again because like the first time <laughs> I had ever seen a Todd Solins movie I was in high school because like I was running with a whole bunch of people who like we were all really into movies and I think the first one I ever saw had to be Happiness and um he's from jersey too i think he was born in newark so like 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 that kind of like that's a for anybody who hasn't seen happiness that's a warped fucked up movies yeah i I would i would advise you to start with welcome to the dollhouse and then go to happiness but i think i also have a tendency to want to like control people's experiences and like just because i saw them in order doesn't mean you have to either right and like and like the sad part is like with Solins in particular, like there's no there's no like safe place to start. Like welcome to do- like Dollhouse <laughs> is gonna crush you. Happiness mm-hmm. is gonna crush you. Like, uh, which other ones have I seen? Like Life During Wartime is gonna like all of his movies are like designed to crush your spirit. You know, at least at least from my perspective. <laughs> like, you know, they didn't crush my spirit. I think like it was just like refreshing to have like a more like it's like there's a lot of things in the human experience that get left out because they don't seem like appropriate for you know an hour and a half film 
and uh, to be in a movie theater. And I think like, obviously these things were in theaters and they're, you know, not necessarily like small, like weirdo indie films either, but like, I thought like having, having the chance to like, look at the perspective of someone who's outcasted by society is like a net positive to me. I actually left feeling mm -hmm. like very like happy, <laughs> ironically mm -hmm. that, that, um, that it was just like, that someone was willing to, to step out on that ledge. No, I feel it. Yeah, that that's that, that's ultimately what I walked away with too. Like especially with Dollhouse and Happiness, because like these are. Mm -hmm. Um, I read this. Uh, I might have told you about this. I forget, but Roger Ebert reviewed Happiness when it first came out, and one of the things he mentioned was particularly with uh the therapist, the 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 pedophile therapist. This it's that kind of movie. Uh, yeah. <laughs> that guy. Um, he uh like talking about like how like he was doing his shit and how he got found out and arrested. And like Roger Ebert mentioned that like when some, when stuff like that happens and like you talk to, you see people on the news talking about it, the first thing they say is, Oh, they seem like just, they seem just like anybody else. They seem so normal. And that's like, all of his movies are kind of like a flip on just like, what is normal? Like, what does it mean right. to be normal? Like, the, like, like that normal more often than not for just about anybody you meet is going to be a projection. And, right. yet, and and like people don't really like nobody's really willing to probe that the way that he does and that's what made it like like on top of them being really funny and like i shouldn't be laughing at this type of way like that's what made his movie so special to me like yeah definitely and i think you know like as a society we're like always trying to cut down at um at tension and and at anything that makes us uncomfortable you know like we don't even want to uh have to interact with the person who brings us our food so it's like just dropped off at our doorstep like i'm kind of like i'm kind of not feeling that trajectory for what that means for for like our our humanness in in 20 years time you know and i think films like silence films like it, it gives us that perspective of like yo like even the people we don't want to admit are part of this, are part of this, like experience, you know, it's like that, that one uncle in your family, you know, everybody, like we have mm -hmm. these people in our families, we have these people like in our communities. And it's like, you know, I'm not trying to celebrate nobody who's doing terrible things, but I also am not one of those people that believes that anyone is like a monster by nature. I think like a lot of what people are and who people are is, is uh, circumstantial and environmental. Right, nah, definitely. Like we're all products of our environment like whether right. we want to admit so or not and like you mentioned spike earlier and like spike lee is someone who's very much about like this you know just like you like you look at something like do the right thing like do the right mm -hmm. thing is very much like a like it's really crazy that you brought up the product of your environment thing because like every single person in do the like do the right thing takes place over the course of a day and every single person is from that neighborhood or, or except right. for except for sal and like them like they live somewhere else but like they work in that area and they're there it's still the their time. neighborhood like that's their community yeah. at the end of the day right and yeah. like you look and like you look at that and like every single person is different like everybody in that movie has a different type of personality a different type of perspective and worldview and they're all products of the same environment. Like that's one of and that's and that's one of the things that makes do the right thing such like a such a fucking head bust of a movie, especially when right. you see it for the first time in high school. Cause I also saw it for the first time in high school. I saw it, I saw it in I, I saw it in a class. I forget which one. But um yeah. Yeah, yeah, 
for sure. I think in a lot of spikes work kind of deals in that. And, um, specifically, like, I know I had mentioned Crooklyn to you earlier. Um, yep. and I was, you know, like, that's one of the ones that I hadn't seen before. And I was like, damn, like I I've seen most of them, but I haven't seen this one. And I was so like taken aback by the, the scene where, where she goes down, uh, down South to visit her, her aunt or whatever, her aunt. Uncle. Right. And the whole screen kind of warps and there's this like surrealism to it where it's like, I'm checking my, my screen to see if like something's fucked up. Like I'm pausing the movie and like, I really went through, like, I took like a 15 minute break to try and figure out what was wrong until I realized <laughs> nothing was wrong. And obviously if you're like at the movie theater, you can't do that. But I also read something that people in the movie theaters were confused when it came out. They were like yelling at the prompter guy, like, yo, like fix this shit. And <laughs> You know, once I realized what was happening, it was like, oh, what a beautiful way to kind of express the the discomfort that that people feel like being moved from one environment that they've been kind of steeped in. And that first experience you really have entering a different environment, especially one if that might be like of a different like socioeconomic standing like that. That's that's groundbreaking. That's like world shaping for you, you know, and, and a lot of people never even leave their 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 environment, you know, and as a person who was right. like blessed enough to have a lot of experiences early on, like leaving my environment and going to a lot of other environments. Like, I think I credit that with um, kind of the way I approach everything. Right. And it comes through in the music, like not even just in the fact that you like make, you know, like not even in the fact that your music can be kind of genre fluid sometimes, but just like in like the voices you put on and like, mm. it, it's, I can just see it. So like, so like, when did you something like obviously you come from a family of musicians so when did right. you decide that you wanted to make music yourself very early i think um i was probably like i remember like first grade at rand elementary i uh i had a group of kids that i uh collectively got together at recess and we, and we were like yo let's make a boy band because boy bands were popping at the time you know oh like yes pre- they were so we were the og brockhampton duck uh <laughs> there was like you know we were just like writing like i can't i i could i could never remember the songs we wrote but like i wrote all the songs and then they just performed them i was like kind of producing and writing for a group at like six seven years old you were and puff already son you were six or I was seven puff years already old. bro talk to me nice <laughs> um and i think you know after after that that was like a short-lived thing but i think around like eight is when I started to like actually like write song lyrics and uh, you know my dad and both of my parents did a very good job of not being like stage parenty and they were like probably more scared of me going into music and following in my father's uh, footsteps than anything else so like I was I remember like being like a preteen like I would like show my new like raps to my mom and she'd be like it's okay and like Aww. you know we need to normalize people telling their kids their shit is not incredible you know um and now she won't shut up you know she'll like i'll call her and she's like singing lyrics to herringbone awfully like saying i just worked out to your album and and shit like that (laughs) but when it was time for me to like be focused on on progression she never allowed me to be the you know deluded about um where i was at and how far i had to go and my father did a great job of kind of showing me like yo like you know like you can build a career in music but you need to detach yourself from the expectation or the like ideal of being like super rich or super famous and connect yourself to really like appreciation for the craft. Cause no one can take that part away. If your, right. your happiness and joy is coming from like being good at what you do and developing and, and making songs you love, like that's, that's more sustainable. 
Yeah, facts. And like the money will come. That's the that 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 that's the thing I heard a lot too growing up. Like especially from my father cuz like yeah, just that's like that comes through and that comes through in pretty much everything um I've heard you do. And like when did you uh when did you when did you first start recording? Because um I know <laughs> I know um Actually, no, maybe I don't know. Correct me if I'm wrong. Did you record some of Honeymoon Suite in Ennis's studio? Uh, I don't think that's true. Okay. Um, we like, because at that time I was already in uh, in college. Okay, so I probably did a lot of that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, you know, I did other stuff. Like, you know, obviously we, we used to do, well, not obviously to anyone listening, but right. in our high school, we used to have like a collective that would like make music on the weekends and like kind of put it out the next week. And we were like at one point, like dropping a song every Tuesday. And like a lot of that music was made either like in my basement and like uh, Mr. Fry's classroom, like a lot of different, you know, just like random locations where we could pull up with the little like blue mic or even sometimes we just like wrapped into the, to the, to the MacBook mic, you know, back in the day but I think I first started like recording songs probably like 11 or 12 uh, my grandmother my mom's mom you know rest in peace like right before she passed she got me a, a laptop and I made music on that thing I got garage band and I just started making beats like I got a myspace page I started putting songs on the myspace it was a lot of it was the mixtape era mixtape Wayne era so I was just really right. just freestyling on other people's beats and putting them up with my little like thermal colored image you know we used to do the <laughs> thermal filter and that was really how it started. I think like once I showed that I was like really working towards it for like a year, my my pops brought me over to like a family friend of ours who also is in Montclair, who had like a, a, a home studio. And that was like my first time being in like a studio space. And I recorded like a little bullshit song in there, but that was like, I didn't have another experience in a studio studio for like probably like five, six years after that. Right. Um... So, like, while you're doing all of this, I mean, like, you've already kind of said that you weren't, like, really focusing on film like that at the time, but um, when, uh, was there ever a period of time when you had, like, first started recording where, like, movies and music kind of came together in your head? Um, Probably only through watching what other people were doing. So, you know, like, I, my dad, like, indoctrinated me into the Prince fandom early, you know, so, like, Purple Rain was, like, a big touchstone. And also, like, not for nothing, probably one of the more, like, impactful, like, a lot of the most impactful musical experiences that happened for me in high school were Kanye moments, which I think, like, mm. you know, who among us? Well, uh, like. you know, freshman year, my pops took me to see Glow in the Dark tour. And that was, like, that, like, reaffirmed my commitment to really, like, going hard as shit. And then, like, I guess, I don't know if I was a junior or a senior, but when Runaway came out, the, the Runaway film, like... I remember just being glued to the screen. And obviously that's not like the best movie in the world, but like, you know, like you can't really touch 2010 Kanye. Like, oh, no. <laughs> you know, no, obviously no. like people like, you know, we reflect back on Dark Twisted Fantasy and it's like, you know, all right, like maybe now we see a couple more flaws than we did at the time. But like, that was that moment. Like if you were there for that moment, you know, and, and, the, the watching this like technicolor explosion of all the things that I heard in, in the Kanye music. Like I knew I wanted to do that. I just didn't think it would happen for me uh, on album two. 
<laughs> right. Like, yeah. So like, I definitely agree about, I, I definitely agree about the Kanye moment because I also remember when Runaway came out, I might've just, I, I think I had just, I was either still, I was about to graduate from high school or I just started college. I can't remember anymore either. But like, see, like just seeing that he was willing to go so hard and bring all this shit together in the way that he did was real, like, like, especially in the movie, like hearing Runaway and like seeing the dancers and him at the piano and push on, like, like that was really, really beautiful. And the I NPC think about scene. <laughs> like, ugh, alone, like, and, and like seeing someone do that with an NPC, like, in a movie was crazy to me because I was like really into both rap and film at the time. So I was like, wow, like somebody did that. And I think about that a lot because I've like <laughs> dark twisted fantasy is not my favorite Kanye album. It's not even close. Like, it's not my, my favorite either. I think it's a great album, but like, I think, you know, the first six, like they're all great albums. Yeah. Like, like I appreciate, like I appreciate, how important that album is to so many people and so many like a lot of things but like outside of a handful of songs I just like don't go back to it I get a lot of shit for it and I guess rightly so because everybody loves that album but like well you know it's like an off the wall thriller kind of thing you know yeah. like the heads know you know <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so okay now let me ask what's Kanye's off the wall oh uh I think Kanye's off the wall is probably late registration but like, if you catch me on a different day, like I'll say a different album, you know, I right, think like yeah. the better, the better conversation is, or not the better conversation, but the, the thing that I aspire to is not any individual one of those albums, but building like a, a, a record of consistency and body of work where it's like people can have those arguments to begin with, like only like maybe Kendrick since Kanye has created that kind of, uh, you know, the amount of, of uh, strength in the foundation behind each of those albums, building on each other and also uh, telling a, a continual uh, thematic story almost, you know, right, what they nah. accomplish. Yeah, totally. Cause like, because like, because like, however, however we might feel about a specific Kendrick album and like where it slots, he has no bad albums. Like, right. like that's, that's like, my, my aim. No misses. <laughs> right and yeah, yeah like and yeah like, you got none yet so you're all you're already you're, i appreciate that no nah, man you're all you're already you're already on your way like so um yeah i guess it's finally time to jump right in so like um don't go telling your mama like when you first you first played me the album back in january of last year right before you moved to california Right. And uh, you didn't have a title for it. You just played me the album and we're like, I can't, I don't know what to call this. And I don't know if, yeah. So like what, what, why, um, why don't go telling your mama? Like, where did the title come from? Really just because eventually I had to name the shit. No, no, I'm kidding. <laughs> I, 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 you know, me and my girl drove cross country right after that. And we spent a lot of that trip, not a lot of trips just like thinking about you know the 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 time period in which i've been making the album but also towards the end of the trip it was like damn we're getting close to california it would be nice if we like just like put our heads together and came up with a title by the time uh, by the time we got back so i put that kind of that deadline on myself and um eventually it just like it felt like don't go telling your mama was like everything I was trying to say from the beginning, I think some of the like earliest kind of seeds I had when I was when I was writing out the idea for the album 
uh, were about like, it was like capturing the energy of that moment where you're kind of eavesdropping on your, your parents or older family relatives, like having conversations that you know are like linked to adulthood and maybe a little bit past your, your pay grade as a kid, but you're, you want to be a part of that. You want to understand what they're saying. And so you listen a little closer and, and you don't want them to know that you're in the room because you know they're going to change the way they, they flip it. Uh, or the way they, they say what they're saying. So I think like, don't go telling your mama, it reminds me of all the times that people kind of like older relatives of mine let me in on kind of a little bit of what adulthood was. It gave me some game and and it's also a line on the album, you know? So it's like, we were listening to the album and that line jumps out at me. And it was like, wow, like there's really like that verse specifically on, it's the first verse about the seventies. I think uh, when I wrote that verse, I knew that that was like somewhat of a mission statement for the whole album, really. And so uh, I think it just it just fit. And after that, I, I won't even lie, like I was a little worried. I'm like, yo, are people gonna like this title? Is it gonna like fall awkwardly out of people's mouths? You know, are white people gonna like be afraid to say it to each other? And I ended up <laughs> deciding like, those are all things I like about it. Like that's kind of what this, <laughs> my experience that I'm telling in this album is one of discomfort. It's one of like not being sure how to, um, how to express my black identity. And I think like what better title than one that makes everyone who says it a little bit uncomfortable. Yeah. Cause like, I can't, I can't wait to, I can't wait to hear the first person who I talked to this album about the first white person who I would talk to this album about be like, Oh, have you heard don't go telling your mother? Um, be like, yeah exactly yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's like my screening process when people send me things or like ask me to do shit a lot of people are like spelling it wrong or like putting the mm. g in there they're putting like mama m-a-m-a instead of m-o-m-m-a and like yeah. it's like the same way like, i remember like anderson was talking about he put the, the period on his name so that he knows yeah. people are paying attention to the details so this is my green m&ms you know this is my details Oh wow, you 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 really freaked that. <laughs> yeah, but, and and that's funny you mentioned the G on telling because I because like I was typing out my questions and my notes for this and uh, Google Docs auto corrected telling to telling and I was like anti black exactly you already know what it is. <laughs> so um so yeah like you've already mentioned the fact like this album like so much of this album is about transition and about um you know, discomfort and acceptance and like particularly from, from, from a very specifically black perspective, like not even just in terms of like you finding your identity, but like all the different types of music you're working with here. Cause like, there's, you know, like there's like, there's funk and jazz and rap and like, I want to say R and B a little bit. Like there's so much of everything in this. And it feels like this, like, you know, like, as much of the best rap music does it feels like a, it feels like a collage of all these different eras and you know just like between like the slang and like just the regional details like with like opening the album with somebody talking about Lackawanna Plaza like it was really wild to be able to hear something that I knew so well like a place that I had spent so much time in as a kid and be like oh shit like that's on an album that people are gonna like hear you know mm -hmm. <laughs> like and um uh it yeah it's just like i get so like i guess in that sense it makes it like an incredibly like overwhelming experience for me to just like hear it as someone from the same town but like for you like it's i mean it's obvious that it's important to you that you got all of this through but like how important was it to you to kind of bring this out of 
yourself like bring like this uh I don't want to say hometown pride because because we can get to that later but like how how important was it for you to put this out in a way that kind of helped you to be less comfortable be help help you to be more comfortable being let being uncomfortable if that makes sense absolutely I think um you know I I really got out my own way with this project so uh prior to this it was almost like I was kind of holding back so much of myself with the idea that you know that's what you're supposed to do you're supposed to like prove yourself as a as just like a rapper in general you're supposed to like get people excited and then when you like sign your your life away to a major label and put that first debut album then you give them like the full story and like that's really what you're saving that for and um i grew up in that old guard thinking of you're supposed to have that major label debut that tells the full story. And I think I was holding on to old antiquated thinking about what my career was supposed to look like, who I was supposed to be, how I was supposed to approach things. And when I really like let that go and, and made it more about like, just really just like being comfortable with myself and being okay with like, I don't have to be like, the biggest rapper in the world to be like happy. I don't have to be, you know, you know, I don't even have to like, there were so many people who I wanted their approval before and it caused me so much discomfort. It caused me so much writer's block in coming from this last album where with Arcade, where I felt like, felt like an outsider to, to the industry at large. And in the years since then, you know, I played a lot of shows. I've, I've been around a lot of different artists and, and in different scenarios and realized like none of that shit is as cool as it looks from the outside, right? And once once I had that understanding, it was like, all right, you know, I'm like, I'm young, but I'm not super young. You know, it's like, I don't get this album out by 26, all drop the 26, you know, it's gonna be curtains for me if I don't get the album out by then. I used to like put those kind of constraints on myself and it was hurting the music. And the only way out of that writer's block was to kind of like just push through it. And, you know, I, I, I think I told you about this when you came to the studio, but I had this like mushroom trip where I was trying to come up right, with the right, idea right. for the album. And it ended up just like, it just ended up going horribly. It's like my first ever bad trip, but it cleared the space for me to like really address that I wasn't, I was I was operating from fear and not from love. So I started out this album with the idea that everything about this album, about this project is gonna be motivated by love and not by fear. And once I did that, it's sort of like the story kind of channeled through me. It was like, all right, like I'm not worried about people judging me based on like being even being from Montclair, about being from Jersey, which used to be like felt like a bad word to say I was from Jersey, you know, like yeah. people weren't really respected as much as like being New York based, quote unquote. Mm-hmm. Um, no, that, and I think as I let go of all those layers of shame and, uh, and shit, you know, yeah. Right. No, nah, absolutely. And uh, like, and yeah, like you start that off, like mirror starts off with you kind of like mirror kind of feels like the shedding of the skin, you know, like you talk about like, not like not showing that side of yourself at first. And it just feels like this is like, I don't want to call it like a rebirth, but it just felt like you were kind of like reorienting yourself. I think it is a rebirth, you know, I, and I kind of hope that every album is somewhat of a rebirth. Uh, like I'm not, I'm trying to be that guy. A lot of people do really well 
kind of running with the same formula and just kind of slowly improving upon it. But I think like, I have a really hard time making songs that it feels like I already made. So the joy for me comes from like attacking new subjects, like climbing a new mountain. And when it came time to climb this mountain, it was like, the thing I haven't really ever done is giving people like my real self, my real story. So that was, that was the objective. And I think like on the other side of that, I feel really great about doing that. Right. Um, so talk to, cause, cause like, cause like you mentioned the mushroom trip and then you mentioned, like, I know you mentioned that, uh, <laughs> you mentioned the album was, uh, you mentioned that you like the album was created with like a big, like, like, of course, like there's like a band involved and like y'all like had a whole process where like y'all like y'all, y'all, y'all like rented out your own like little space to make the album over the course of some period of time, right. Or to at least like jam out and get it. So, so, so like, talk to me about how that came together. I wrote like this kind of quasi scream, like the, the storyboard sort of. And from there I made like an outline and I created scenes and we all like got a bunch of musicians together and a bunch of ideas that I had already started producing that, that felt like, uh, you know, it made sense with what I was talking about thematically. And, and we just kind of went up to the Poconos I sent them all the screenplay and like, you know, it's like when I say screenplay, it's like a notes app thing, you know, it's not right. like <laughs> exterior Montclair, you know, it was, but, but I tried to go into detail about like what's, you know, you know, there's, there's like characters and places. And I wanted people who were working on this album to understand the picture that I was trying to paint early, you know? So from the beginning, this album was sort of, more a process of scoring a film that would never be made. Which of course is not the case because now there's a movie attached to it. <laughs> so like, so like for you, like when, so like, when did you decide, like, I mean, like you mentioned the screenplay and the notes app, um, I'm, I'm like the notes app screenplay. So like for you, when did you decide that don't go telling your mama needed to be a movie or a short film rather? It kind of happened gradually. Because, you know, Rubber Band, my co-directors and some of my best friends who I, who I went to college with, uh, we always kind of jam out on what the visual side of my, of my music is going to look like. And when it came time for us to have the, you know, we, we started to feel like the three music video approach, like we had treatments for videos and I think they would have done well, but it just didn't do a good job of, of uh, kind of encapsulating whole world that this we started to push on the idea of like what would it be like if we sort of instead of advertising the music itself like created somewhat of an ad campaign for the ideas that the album is really about and kind of try to enforce that like let's let's treat the ideas and the themes of the album like songs and it went from like this is like okay maybe this is 26 different like short films essentially stitched together that tell a, a larger story right and uh where like where did the initial idea to use the uh um to use the black alphabet come from because i didn't because i hadn't heard about the black alphabet until I started seeing the rollout and I looked into it and I learned that it like has roots in Chicago. So like, when did you first find out about that? And what made you think like, this is like, I wanna, this is what I want the film to be. I didn't know 
uh, the history of the Black ABCs when it first kind of came across my uh, my timeline, I guess. It was popping up on like Pinterest searches and like occasionally on some like retro aesthetic Instagrams and, and, and shit. And I would just see it places. And I had a couple of them in my mood board folder sort of on my computer for, for a couple of years actually. And when we started coming up with ideas for the visuals to the album, I started to like unload on, on the guys, like all this uh, creative inspo and all these images that I had around me while I was making the music. And I think uh, I just gravitated to the, to, the, to the alphabet cards because really what this album is about is, is education and the way that we're taught how to see ourselves in the world and all the ways that, that we are, are educated on, on what our identity means and what it means to be black that don't happen you know, within the walls of the school. A lot of our education happens outside of school. It's really like mm -hmm. the things we see on TV. It's really uh, the the billboards, the eyewitness news clips. It's you know, it's a lot of other things. The things our family tell us. You know, all it's of that world plays star, yeah. a larger yeah. role in in our sense of self. It's world star. You know, like, and so in uh, in in seeing that link, it's just like, all right, this makes sense. And and also in kind of like a a retelling of my own like childhood and history and all of that like it made sense to use the framework of the abcs and to have real structure to what we were telling right so um yeah and like and and and, and they like one of my favorite things about watching the movie is the fact that you really decided to split it into these 26 little segments and it's just once again like a collage kind of coming together it's 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 uh like like it's about as like it's about as structurally hip hop as any movie could possibly be just because it's like a whole bunch of pieces coming and informing a whole <laughs> and like <laughs> for sure even like us bringing in like the old footage you know we have a lot of uh archival footage and like stuff from my old home videos and like in that way too it's like we were like sampling a little bit too right yeah and like and and like watching the movie like today again uh, that's really, um, my father has been going through like our, our um, um, the archives of our home videos and like sending me emails with like a whole bunch of like old home videos of me as a kid and me and my sister and my mother and like our whole family. So uh -huh. like seeing, so like seeing that while he's, so seeing, so seeing that happen while I'm watching your movie, I'm like, damn, like this is all kind of coming full circle to me in like ways that make me really happy, but also kind of like uncomfortable and raw it was weird but it's but like a good mm -hmm. kind of weird like yeah yeah i'll tell you this too like the those those like home movies specifically that was like a very late addition to the process we didn't know we were going to have that but mm -hmm. uh you know i came out uh back to new york in august to shoot the film and i was here for that whole month and i was i was at my mom's crib my mom lives in harlem now and she was like are you here for like another week I need you to come with me and help me move like stuff out of this one storage unit to a smaller storage unit. She wanted to downsize to like, you know, she had, you know, just trying to like consolidate all that stuff. Right. So I really didn't want to go with her. I was like, I got other shit to do. We doing all this, you know, like but I was done with the film and really like, it's an excuse to spend some time with my mom. So I agreed to it. And then we go and it just so happens in that storage unit is like a lot of like, you know, there was like, like my PS1 was in there, you know, <laughs> like hey. a lot of uh, memories from my childhood and like, yeah. And like a crate and in this crate was all these like DV tapes 
from times when my mom had like her little camcorder on her when I was growing up. And we ended up using like a fraction of what it was, but I took all that stuff and had it digitized. And, you know, I spent like maybe like a day just like seeing things and seeing memories that I had forgotten even happened. And I'm sure you, you've got a lot of that from what's going on with you, uh, emotional. And it really provided us with like that last, uh, that last kind of dash of seasoning we needed on this to, to drive home how personal all this stuff was and also how like connected it was to like, my entire life story. Right. No, absolutely. Um, and if you wouldn't mind too terribly, um, I kind of want to go through each of the segments and like break down like what the inspiration was behind them. And yeah. just like, I saw your eyes get wide. My fault. I didn't mean to spring that on you. <laughs> no, no, it's cool. It's cool. There's just a lot of them. So I don't know if people like, and I also, I, I want to make sure that people have uh, new memories when they, when I want people to like interact with these things and see some yeah. of them for the first time, but, but we can yeah. definitely talk about it. So we don't have to do all of them in that case. Like if you want, we could, we, we could pick maybe like your favorite, like five for sure. or six, like, yeah, I think one that jumps to my to to the top of mind is is P, which is a uh, P is for Play Fight. Yep, I can draw a direct line from the original screenplay that made the album to the film, and like in that original screenplay, I kind of wrote this this scene that was like a riff on a real experience I had when I was a kid, when a bunch of like my cousins and also just people who weren't like necessarily family but like play cousins were like in my great uncle's basement. And there was like some boxing gear down there and they all started scrapping. And it turned into this thing where it was like, like a boxing tournament happening in this tiny like basement. And I really had never been in a fight before. You know, I was like a soft kid, you know, for the most part. Right. Um, but in that peer pressure situation, like I was kind of forced to, to like, tap in and I got my ass beat you know and um I think the way that that translates to the film is like in this like larger than life way where it's like you know we're on this playground but it's also like it feels like a real boxing match you know and like when you're in that moment as a kid like everything feels like it's the most serious thing that ever happened to you yeah totally and what and also like it's one of um, um it's one of the shorter segments in the whole thing too and like you get up and like you're ready like your dukes are up and like you're about to really scrap and then you just get knocked out and then it's over like right. it's just it's just so quick <laughs> and yeah. um that really left an impact to just be like like no pun intended i guess because like that's just it'd be like that when you're a kid like <laughs> really mm -hmm. like it's just like you think it's gonna be crazy and then it's just over like, yeah, I guess what are the what are the letters that like spoke to you? Like, what's one you want to talk about? Oh man, so um, so the one so for me, I love like Sour Belts is my favorite song on the project. So I would say oh, S for Sour Belts, like that's um, like just like yeah, yeah, no, you know, this is what I wanted to ask you. So Sour Belts, what is it about Sour Belts that you love so much? Because they clearly mean a lot to you. <laughs> Uh, that's so funny. Uh, I think, uh, you know, I definitely, 
like going back to like my first times at the movies, like I always was the kid that opted for the Sour Patch Kids or the sour type of candy. Like that's just kind of my jam as far as like snacks go. I'm trying to lean less on that side of things as I get older and, you know, things have real health costs, you know, I'm trying to be a little more health conscious, but it really is like one of my comfort foods. And I ate a lot of like, I remember Jack Hallenbeck, one of the producers on the album, one of like our earlier sessions, he had one of those like five pound bags of like sour candy. Right. And like, you know, you eat enough of that shit, you start getting sick. But uh, that was like, it meant a lot because like, you know, we had this song where we, you know, sometimes in the studio, you don't know what to name the beat, just name it something that's in the room. And we have both been eating sour belts, so we named it that. But also uh, the visual representation of it connects to like a real time. I think I was like, on break my freshman year of college and me and my friends like went up to the woods and like did acid for the first time. And uh, really what that, that shit is about is like that kind of being that group of black kids out in the woods, like kind of unsafe, like unsure, because like as a young black kid, you're not like, you're kind of localized to like more urban environments um, and taking part in this like hallucinogenic experience that, opens your opens your eyes and opens your heart and i think like that like ego death that happens when you engage in that and and i I know it's not for everybody i'm not necessarily trying to like advocate it um Right. right but for me it was important to have that experience and gain that perspective and it was a lot it was it was a it was a plot point in my in my coming of age for sure right I think that's really tight, especially considering that um, it's just been found that like psychosyllabin, or I, I think I just pronounced the name wrong, but like, I think, um, there you go, yeah. there it is, I, I fucked up, but that has really wonderful effects on depression, like mushrooms have been proven to have incredible effects on like helping to get over depression, and right. like, that's, um, a lot of people I know have gone through that experience and they've kind of come out on the, and most of them have come out on the other side. Like, like, like even if it didn't result in some sort of like game changing life moment, it was like, that was pleasant. You know, like at least I got to see some cool colors, which can be cool in and of itself. But like, (laughs) Yeah. um, And actually that same trip, like uh, informed a a song I wrote, I wrote that came out a couple of years ago called cotton fields. mm. Um, and it was like, the, the hook is like cotton fields in the sky. And it was because one of the hallucinations, me and my best friend, uh, this dude, Austin Brennan, um, we were both like tripping and we both saw the same hallucination, which was like these like clouds taking the form of like African fertility statues and kind oh, of moving shit. in this like circle. It's really some trippy shit. We wanted to do this like animated video for it, but we couldn't get the, the, the funds together at the time. But yeah. that like still sticks in my head to this day. So it's like, you know, like it wasn't just that I like went and, like trip acid. Like that was fun. It was definitely fun, but it also felt like, uh, you know, a connection to to the earth and to and to the spirit um, of our ancestors in a way. And I think that like you know, there's many routes to that, but I think um, the the uh, the spiritual aspect and and this idea of like Afrofuturism it's all connected you know like you think about like earth wind and fire and parliament funkadelic and like how much acid was taken in those sessions you know (laughs) yo anybody any anybody willing to put a pyramid as detailed as earth wind and fire put on their album covers they were on acid 
Like, right, right. <laughs> like, like that shit has too many details to not to not come from like a very vivid, lucid trip. Like, right, and you already know how like George and Bootsy get down, man. Like, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, yeah. Those are like these mothership. are my heroes, you know. Outside of like you know, like obviously I love rappers, but I'm as much funk as I am rap, you know. So, right, no, absolutely, and um, um. You know, speaking um like speaking on the tip that you were on with like kind of kind of this like spiritual connection to really really just like ancestry and music. Like one um um another one of my favorite bits in the movie is D is for drums, which is another which now that I think about another one of the shorter ones where you know it's just like it's just like somebody banging on the table. And um I think you're doing the beginning, that's the beginning of bugging the verse, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah I thought so. So like so like I remember I saw you tweet maybe uh no right when you put out D is for drums in the rollout you mentioned that you used to bang out grinding on the desk until your hands hurt like we all did because yes. like 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 our like in middle school like I remember being in the Glenfield cafeteria and like we would bang that shit on the tables like oh my god like it was it was just so much so like talk to so so like talk to me about talk to me about putting drums together and like how that kind of speaks to that, uh, that connection that you were talking about a little while ago. Absolutely. I think, you know, the drum is like, you know, one of the most important and versatile uh, pieces of technology for black folks in general. You know, I think like we've used it to communicate for, for, for centuries and there's something about, you know, that feeling of hearing a drum, like we respond to it differently. Like we have a different relationship to drums than I think a lot of other cultures do. And that's not to say that they don't have their own unique relationships. Like obviously like, um, you know, in Latin cultures, there's, there's a similar relationship, but also that dates back to Africa too. So it's like, right. think about what a drum means and this idea of like someone being able to take anything and turn it into a drum. You know, I think James Brown was famously saying like everything's a drum. Like for him, guitars were drums, bass was drums. They're all rhythm. And um, I think, you know, when I thought about like my own upbringing and my own education, it was like, how important was it for me that like I was able to, to build community and bond with other people just over the sound and feel of drums, you know? Right. And, and like, and like, I, like, I don't remember if it's, I don't remember if this is the specific shot that opens the sequence, but like, at the very least, like in the beginning, there's just like a shot of the fist with the jewelry on it and the rings. And it's just, and it's like banging it in, and, and it does it in reverse that, that, that like really caught my attention. Like what inspired y'all to like, like, why, like, why do that intro scene in reverse? A good question. I think we kind of operated off of intuition a lot and there was something that felt like kind of it wasn't telling the full story about the scene originally. And I think I could give you a lot of reasons why we chose to reverse it, but ultimately it just felt good. Um, I think, you know, we tried a lot of, we just, we were open to, to experimenting at all times with this. I think we didn't really know what the film was fully going to be until we got really towards the finish line of it and we remained open to to a lot of different possibilities like original ideas where you know each of these letters has kind of five or six alt alternative versions that could have happened you know 
there are reasons why we chose to reverse it, but mostly it just felt good to do. And also, uh, you know, I think there's a line that you can draw directly from this incredible drummer, Jairus Yokely, who actually used to play in my band and him like banging on this kitchen table to, mm. you know, there's a line we can draw from that to like, like Africans on, on plantations. Uh, there's a line we can draw from that to, you know, the first people in Africa and, and people all over the world really like finding community and, and uh, communicating with each other in this nonverbal, like purely rhythmic uh, form of music. Um, and I think it was important to show that like, you know, this one instance is connected to all of history in that way. Right. And uh, as kind of like another example of that, um, L is for language is another one that really stands out to me because that's the one where, um, um, that uh, if I remember correctly, that was the one where you were talking to Ivy Soul, right? Shout out Ivy Soul, man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Shout, shout out, shout out to Ivy Soul. Like it was really, like uh, it was really tight for me to hear to hear you bring someone like non-binary in on the conversation and just kind of like, and just kind of like kind of untangle this uh, specific relationship to like, especially being someone from the South. So like, what was it like? So like, what was it like putting uh, Ellis for language together? Right. It wasn't even necessarily something where I thought like, oh, this person is non-binary. That kind of just, right. uh, that was like an added thing. But uh, I just really appreciate Ivy's, um, Ivy is very deliberate in the way that uh, she expresses uh, things and the words are always chosen very carefully and we bond a lot over you know just bars and and writing and and we could be talking about you know great rappers we could be talking about great authors and Ivy's really like Ivy knows Kendrick lyrics and Toni Morrison quotes you know <laughs> and so when it came time to talk about language I felt like it was it was important to to speak to someone who was a lyricist, but also someone who came from like a, a different perspective than my own, you know, I didn't want it to just be the Topaz Jones story. You know, this, this was never, this became even more personal than I intended it to be as a film. Uh, but I think specifically with the, the interviews that we, we put in, it gave a chance for us to kind of round out the perspective. Cause obviously there's all these ways that you're taught uh, about yourself some of them positive, some of them negative. But one of the biggest positives are the people in the community that are really doing the work and are organizing and are, are connected to, to that like grassroots level that kind of, uh, they're able to break through the matrix and give you a little bit of that, that, that self-love and that, that information that you, that you really need and aren't always given. Right. Yeah. You know, like, you know, like bringing, bringing in like, um, uh, bringing in the, the, the therapist that you brought in, um, Katie Rodriguez and, um, the man from Brownsville, whose name is, I just lost it. I feel so terrible. He's white. That's my lawyer. Yeah. Yo, shout out, shout out to him because that section was really beautiful. Yeah. Yeah. Just like bring, bringing in all those different, like I chose Ellis for language because I loved, I love the idea of you bringing in other people. Like you even brought you even brought in Mr. Jackson, one of your old teachers, like, because like there's so much about like they bring so much of themselves and they also of course inform like what you got going on as well and like and just like that that organizational aspect especially as black people is so important to the way we kind of process history or or, or like the way we've kind of been forced to process right. history <laughs> and um i think you know right. like for the fifth right and yeah oh no sorry what were you gonna say uh, no, I was just going to say that, like, Mr. Jackson is important. 
And I think yeah. as an artist, you know, people are really interested in who are my musical heroes and like, who were you listening to growing up? And I was listening to a lot of different music, but equally important was the people who's like, who were, who were helping me learn how to, how to think about the world and how to see it. And like, we never get asked about like, who's the like teacher that like inspired you to, to think about things more radically. And that's what Mr. Jackson was for me. Yeah. And just like hearing him tell his story, um, cause, cause I did, cause I didn't go to Renaissance, so I don't know Mr. Jackson, but like hearing right. him tell his weirdo so hearing school. Him, <laughs> nah, so we, nah, like it was, <laughs> that's so funny that you said that. Cause, cause, cause I heard that too, <laughs> but nah, yeah. like just hearing, just, just, just like hearing him, hearing him bring his perspective and just like specifically talking about how he worked so hard to, uh, um, to bring, to help bring the other teachers together and like help protect black and brown kids in our area was like that like like that shit is important and like like that specific ethos flows through so much of this album like this album is very much about like protection and it's about like knowing how to protect yourself knowing and then knowing enough about yourself to be able to protect other people Mm. like and like he brought that perspective and i thought that was dope i thought that was tight (laughs) Yeah, he's the LS man. For real. Like I could tell already. And um, and I think the last one of these I'd like to touch on so we don't go through all of them is of course Z is for zip code. Like oh, yeah. that like that like 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 that was the last one. Obviously, it's the last one I watched. And uh man, it really like it really almost brought me to tears because like I was talking about before, it was like all these specific landmarks that like I know so well and like seeing them like not even just in the context of an album but like in the context of a movie like seeing seeing that like there's a bit at the beginning of that section where you drive down Orange Road and you drive past uh Dr. Barnes and Carter which is my optometrist and Young's World um, <laughs> um, um uh Young's World of Beauty which is where I used to get my hair cut as a kid like so like, yep. you drive by there and there's just, like a whole bunch of like these beautiful neighborhood shots and you get the shot of Crockett's and you talk about sweet potato and pecans like it's it, it was you know for real like that was that like like that was the place I can't, like I, when did they even close because like I remember I came back once and I just saw they were gone and yeah. I was like what <laughs> like if I had known that was the last time I was about to eat, you know, mac and cheese with like yam sauce touching on it, I would have savored it more. <laughs> Bro, like, 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 tell me if you remember this, but like one of the chefs, like he had a really, really, really deep voice. And I would mm-hmm. like, I would like, I would go like anytime I would go there, I would always get the tenders and fries with honey mustard every time. That was, that, that was like my go-to. And every time he brought it out, he would bring it out and he would bring it out in the styrofoam tray and he would just go like, Tenders fries, and that was it. Like, just like very yes. specific. Like, tenders was... and mock. <laughs> he had a thick ass <laughs> accent too. I think it was like a Jamaican accent. Yo, and his voice was so deep. Like, it, and 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 like those, like like it would always be fifth and sixth period lunch. Like every time. So like seeing, like, it's like just like having those memories flood back. Like, what was it like to be in a position where you could like bring the town to life? like that because like that's like the most explicit it gets you know yeah yeah that's like super like everything in that and especially that like spoken word piece that's attached to it it's like super if you know you know type vibes and um 
I think I had to like work up like that was added to the film very late. Like we had a whole different idea of what Z was going to be at first and it wasn't really working. And I just kind of hit like a fourth quarter buzzer beater because we had to submit the film like very soon after that. And I just kind of thought about all of the very specific things that, uh, that accumulate to make home in, in my childhood. And I think, uh, you know, a couple of years ago, like I maybe would have been afraid to go that specific because I didn't quite yet understand how much uh, universality is in the, the, the specifics and in going super granular and talking about the micro, like maybe nobody knows what sweet potato and pecans is, but they understand the feeling of having that like one spot down home that like everybody goes to for lunch or, you know, they might not all listen to, to Jersey club music, but there are important DJs in every community that like, yeah. you know, push the culture forward and, and like create the the moments that, that we grow up going to these parties and experiencing things for the first time. You know, it's like, I, I was really emotional making all of that. Cause it's like, in a way I'm making this film and hopefully this album is going to reach a lot of people. But, you know, after it does what it does, it goes back to just being like uh, a record you know, and, and, and in that way, like I had the chance to really immortalize a lot of, of the Montclair that we both know. And then a lot of other people grew up knowing. And I think, uh, you know, it's not my job to, to, to speak to everybody's uh, experience, just kind of give you a piece of my own. And hopefully you see some of yourself in that. Right. And that's, and like, that's a part of healing, you know, like that's a part of healing. And that's a part of like growing to understand yourself is like, it's something that I've struggled with a lot, especially recently. Like it's understanding that like you can talk yourself out into the world and not have people understand it. And that can be cool. You know, like you don't, you don't always have to be understood on like a granular level. E e even right. if, even if you're projecting something that's so granular and specific, you don't like, it doesn't have to be received in that way by everyone, even if you want it to be. Cause like, yeah. Yeah. Even yeah. that's like assuming that like you can be fully understood ever. And I don't know if that's true anymore. Like I maybe used to think that there was things I could do and then like everybody would understand the totality of me. And that forced me to try and jam like everything that I am into every single piece. So it was making it harder to write because it was like, well, if I do this, it's too much of this and not enough of that. And in writing this storyline for this album that has characters and ideas and themes, it was like the, the creation of the character allowed me to say some things that maybe would be too brash or too harsh for the person I really am. Or maybe some other things that would be like more like vulnerable and soft than, than I would maybe be normally willing to be. And they're really all parts of me. But, you know, society like forces us to, to try and like kind of commodify that and wrap it in this like tight package. And, you know, we're none of us, we all contain multitudes. So, so I was happy that I found a way to kind of express those multitudes, you know. Right. And you were able to do it and you were able to do it with other people involved as well. Like not even just yeah. like the band, but like, you know, like you're talking about the features on the album. Like you got, yeah, like, you, like, like you got, you got Maxo and Fonte on a song. Like, yo, I feel like hip hop owes me one for putting them two niggas on the same song. You gotta like, like I, that needed to happen. <laughs> fun. Like, okay. So like, talk to me about how that happened because like, that's obviously one of my, yeah. yeah like that's one of my favorite joints on this whole thing so far. Yeah, I love that record. 
Uh, it's it's not like a you know a lot of this the finishing of this album and the feature specifically happened in quarantine, so it's not that like we are linked up in the studio story that I wish it was. Of course, uh, but I'll specifically speak to the to the Fonte thing. We both randomly got uh, asked to speak on this like Live Nation panel. Really, like I just knew a dude who worked at Live Nation. He was like, "Yo, will you do me this solid? It's with Fonte." I was like, "It's with Fonte. I'm pulling up. I never met Fonte." Like. I used to rap over fucking little brother beats in high school to, to practice my bars, you know? Hell yeah. Um, so we get there and we're talking about like the independent music grind and shit and like on the stage to all these like white people who work at fucking Live Nation. <laughs> and then it gets to the end, you know, everything was real cordial. And then Fonte got, it was in, it was like the first snowstorm, I think of, uh, of maybe 20, I don't know if it was 2018 or 2019. It might've been 2019. And uh, he got snowed out. He couldn't go back home to North Carolina. So he was stuck there. And all the Live Nation people were like, well, we're about to go, you know, sing karaoke and get drunk at this spot. And he didn't really have nothing else to do. So we both just said, fuck it, and went. And we went with these Live Nation people and just, like, got fucked up and did, like, karaoke. And it just, like, brought us closer. And he was like, yo, like, if you ever need anything from me, like, I got you. And, like niggas say that a lot but they don't always mean it you know so i took it with a grain of salt and it just so happened that uh jack the the producer i mentioned earlier jack hallenbeck he had just moved back in with his family in uh in raleigh and we had to finish some stuff for the for the production of the album we were actually working a lot on sour belts at that time and i flew down there to work with him for like a week and i told fonte i was down there just kind of threw the shot up and he was like send me the address i'm pulling up he pulled up to this white kid's family home with a bucket of Bojangles chicken. I kid you not. <laughs> and like, like wow. me, Fonte, Jack, you know, his family, we just sat there eating fucking chicken. And then we played him uh, like a bunch of joints off the album. We played him mirror. We played him dial a couple other joints. And he was like, yeah, I'm with this. And uh, you know, uh, uh, he was like, send me whatever you want to send me. And as soon as I made who I was like, this has to have Fonte on it. And, you know, he was super good about getting me to verse. You know, he really killed it. It's like one of my favorite verses on the album. Some of the, the like, uh, dish soap for bubble baths, like that line just bounces around in my head randomly all the time. You know, he's really like one of the greatest rappers. Um, so like, I can't say enough kind words about Fonte and how like, how dope he's been. You know, he's like, I don't have a lot of mentors in rap. You know, I feel like it's been kind of like me figuring it out on my own and with my manager, Kev, who's, who's really helpful, but shout Fonte's out to Kev. one of those people. Yeah. Shout out to Kev, man. Kev story, the legend, but um, Fonte's one of those people that really like, he'll give me the time. If I, if I have a question, if I, if I, if there's anything, you know, he, he holds it down. Right. My, like, like, it's funny. You mentioned the, uh, the dish soap for bubble bass. Cause that, that bar is crazy. My favorite bar of his on that song is when he said, um, I'm living proof that you can make something from something bad. And I was like, yes. So when my children grow, they ain't got to run, have to as, run fast. as fast. There you go. There it is, son. Like he's just, I like about understanding the assignment. <laughs> <laughs> nah, he forget understanding the, he understood the assignment. He went and made the cheat sheet. He had it in, he had it in the fucking back of the, the back of the toilet shit. Like, yo, like all, all yes, of that, bro. like, yo, yeah, he, he's, 
Fonte is incredible. Like shout out to Fonte. And shout out to Maxo too. Maxo and killed Maxo. it on that track as well. I love Maxo. He's got like some really great music. Yeah, man. I yeah, like Lil Big Man is one of my favorite projects I've heard in the last couple of years. I, I I I run that back a lot. He's he's uh he's incredible. He's also really tall. He's he's gigantic. Yeah. Like, I met him in person before and it was like, damn, like here's like it's rare that rappers are the same height as me. And we're about to, <laughs> we're like, we're both up there, you know? Right. Yeah. No, y'all are both really tall. Like I I, I was like, I was like blown. Cause I met him I, I or I never met him, but like I, um, I saw him at a show a couple of years ago and like, he came off the stage and was like, still like, like the stage was at his pelvis. And I was like, what? <laughs> like, it's it's all like a really reverse Tory Lanez. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, it's like a reverse Tory Lanez, except he's not, except Maxo is not also a piece of shit. But yeah, yeah, yeah well, well, you know, I mean, <laughs> yeah, fuck Tory Lanez, but that's a, yeah. no, 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 you're right, you're right. No, no, <laughs> my fault. But um, <laughs> um, so um, so obviously we've been through we've been through a lot with this album, and you've been through a lot with this album. And um, one thing that I've noticed we've brought up a whole bunch is this uh. Like I mentioned a little bit earlier about like being kind of genre fluid and you kind of brought it up with like, you know, like rap is like, like, like we've been over like you, like, like we've talked about Kanye, we've talked about the clips, we talked about Earth, Wind and Fire, we talked about Prince and Parliament and just like been like jumping all over and um, one and like one thing that I've always loved and appreciated about your music is that like, you can't really be pinned down like you rap, obviously, but it's like it's it, like your music is informed by so much different kind of music and like being genre fluid is something that's kind of like becoming more in vogue now than it was maybe like three four years ago and i guess i was just wondering like since since this is very much like a new chapter and like a rebirth like we were talking about before for you like 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 how did like how does it feel to be because like you've been making this type of music for a minute like this isn't just like something you adopted you know so like how does it feel to be in this position now where you're able to express yourself in this particular way with these particular influences in a space where being genre fluid is more common than it was before i think um i didn't i wasn't so calculated in in being you know, quote unquote, genre fluid. It's something that people do say a lot about my music, but not something that like I set out to do at all. Uh, I really just like have a deep appreciation for a lot of music. And like, as much as I love, you know, like Outkast, I also grew up with my dad playing me a lot of like Steely Dan and like Average White Band and, you know, Ohio Players. And, um, you know, I, I grew up under the tutelage of, a, of, of my father and a lot of other musicians in my family who were constantly like putting me on a new stuff. So it's like when it, go, when it becomes time to make shit, I'm pulling from all those different places just because like those are all the things I like. And hip hop in its essence is like sampling from other places and other genres. So like I'm almost confused. It's sort of like I'm not necessarily trying to be genre fluid. I'm trying to like uh, kind of... Uh, I'm trying to project a forward-looking idea of what hip-hop can be in the future. And what does it mean for people who grew up listening to samples and also knowing where those samples came from to bring in musicians and kind of like create music from like a sampler's dream mindset. Like I'm always really just trying to create music that like, if I heard it, I'd be like, damn, I really want to sample that. 
right and oh man that's beautiful because like that like that specific thing feels like such a it feels like such a recent phenomena to me like that's mm-hmm. like that isn't something that you can really say people were talking about like 20 years ago at least not in the way that you've kind of gone about it on this project like yeah like like all like it's all like it's all created from live instruments but it feels like it has like the warmth and the care of like a loop or like mm-hmm. really eloquently picked up chops you know like like yeah. like 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 there are just like certain examples just like pulling from the track list like like uh man uh doa like in particular doa is like the beat on doa is like you just like that shit tore itself apart and like put itself to angelo moda from west orange who produced that joint yo he did amazing like yeah he did the shit wow yeah man and it's not like let me clear up too i'm not one of those people that's like anti-sample like obviously like it's me and like below is like one of my best friends and thelonious martin and like all he does is sample shit so it's like we come from that like Oh, you know, all my early shit is like all samples, but I just got to a place like I think taste wise and just like practically where the samples began to like I felt limited by them because like I like songs that have very, uh, you know, distinctive sections and like I got to like my my taste and my understanding of music and my musicality as a person kind of changed where it's like the sample wasn't like the loop was cool, but it wasn't like I wanted to take it somewhere new now and to do that you got to have musicians in there like able to make uh those those decisions and to move around the voice and i wanted music that felt like uh you know like new things were constantly happening there's a lot of little details in this album that reveals themselves and and reward multiple listens right i respect that because yeah as as creative as creative as people get with samples there's only so much you can ultimately do with a sample because it's you know like you can't like you can't like edit the sample like the music's already been made. Right. I'm sure they'll make the technology soon. Like they're they're figuring out wild stuff already. You know, like that- you could kind of like, yeah. And I'm scared of that too because I think like we're coming up with all these cheat codes around just like great musicianship. Right. <laughs> and like I hate to be that like old. You know, I'm not trying to Clint Eastwood niggas, but uh, you know, a lot of the things that like my dad and my uncles used to say about musicians early on is starting to like really like ring true in my head which is like the end of the day like what makes our favorite records from from like history like the most timeless records what makes them that is that they really just like capture an excellent performance and the more we try to like kind of reverse engineer and do these things that are sort of like a a digital approach at like perfection we lose a lot of like the you know like the wabi-sabi uh, and the, like the natural kind of humanity in a record. So I just wanted all my all my stuff on this album to feel really human and feel like real people played it. And that's not to say that I won't do a project in the future where it's like all samples. Like me and Thilo talk about that all the time doing a project where it's just of like- Of course you are. Cause niggas be having me fucked up. Like I, like, I can't so- really rap. And like, <laughs> I'm not like, I don't talk my shit a lot, but like, I think like there's not a line wasted on this album. And I'm really proud of that. Like I worked mm-hmm. hard to make sure that every verse you know, I was, I was, I was communicating like effectively, efficiently and with wordplay and like, not just putting in like something because it rhymed, but because it furthered the story and the ideas that I was communicating and that, that I think, you know, a project where I really just like, let's let somebody else handle all the production and just go really in on the bars is something that I'm open to as well. But 
for this album, for communicating all that I am as a person, it just made sense to really go with this like live instrumentation approach. And I had uh, so much help, so many amazing producers and musicians who contributed to, to this project and helped make it what it was as a real village. You know, we got live strings, live horns on this shit. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, it's like, it's a big production, you know, and, and I'm very grateful that people saw the vision of what I was doing and believed enough to really tap in on that level. Yeah, nah, that's that's really incredible. And especially to the point about you, especially to the point about you wanting to make this like like you and the band and the producers and everybody wanted to make this sound human and kind of like I feel like nothing in like I feel like no song on this project encapsulates the way you kind of like meet these different aspects of like rap in particular in the middle like buggin like buggin is buggin is really like because like I remember when I first heard it like I was hearing the story and I and, 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 and like I got the metaphors and I got what you were trying to say but I'm like this is a really at first like I think I told you this, like, I was like, it's really strange and interesting that you decided to end the album with this song, but hearing it again, like, I get it. Like, it makes complete sense. It like ties, it ties everything together, especially, especially with um, the, uh, the clip of, I don't know who that was talking at the end, who, which, my, aunt, my great aunt, aunt Penny. Okay. Okay, cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like her telling her telling the, her telling the story about the, uh, about the bowling alley and being a good listener, if you don't know what to do which like, like, and like those words, ending the album with those words was a nice touch, but to come back to the song itself, like talk to me about working with someone like, um, 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 like Thelonious, who's so renowned for his sample based beats, like, like putting yeah. a song like this together must've been a different experience for you both. So walk me through that. Well, so Buggin started out as just like the last day we were in the Poconos, like, a couple of the musicians were just kind of jamming and we said like why don't y'all just like free jam for a little bit and we'll like see if any of this becomes something later and shout out to alicia uh who's one of the other producers she produced dial and a bunch of she played bass on a lot of this album produced on a lot she of this smashed album. It. she's another she killed it she's like an incredible producer um and friend and she um kind of led the other musicians in this jam and kind of told them like all right i'm hearing this and we had this this thing that you hear in the beginning, which is where, where it started, is this kind of like jazzy kind of instrumental. Um, and I was trying to figure out like what I wanted to, to say over it. And I was at my grandmother's house just kind of sleeping over and I had this like really crazy dream. Like one of those stories where like a song really comes from a dream, like that whole story, like I had a dream that was like, not that story, but it was like, there was like this spider that kept just kept reoccurring in it, you know? And um, I woke up thinking that there was a spider on me. And it's just like, I, I wrote the, the whole song pretty much in that day, I think, or, or like everything except for like the, the like ending of the story. And I played it for Kev. And I, I think Kev was like, you know, it's cool, but it's like, it, it doesn't really hold my interest the whole time. And I think you want people to really hear this whole story. Um, great sage advice. So then we took it to, to Thilo and I was like, yo, why don't you just try like sampling this, you know, and just like see, see what comes out of it. Cause I wanted Thilo to be on the album. You know, he's not, he, he talks on, on gold, but he, he, this is the only beat he's a part of. And he came back with like a version of the, the song that like, I had never really thought about it. It sounding like that. He changed my whole perspective on what the song could be. And then after that, you know, myself and Jack went in and did a lot of other stuff as well. You know, it's like all of these these songs, like 
I can't credit most of them to one producer because it was like such a communal experience. It's hard to talk about one person's individual uh, input, but Thilo, like he revealed like a Rick and Morty portal to that song that that just like <laughs> opened up the possibilities, you know? And I think it was, was for the betterment of, of the, the story and of the album. Right. And yeah, like that's like, cause like that, cause like that, like speaking of the story, it's like, it feels, it feels like a really self-contained story in and of itself but it speaks so much to just like j- just like the way just like the the places you were able to take the bug metaphor was just like crazy just like about like there was there like, like i remember something about like the crickets not picking up on the code switching or something like just like <laughs> you know like like the way you managed to jump around and like uh, like it like like you were talking about like people don't think you're on your rap shit like that's like that's like a rapper's rapper's type of song. That's like an Elzai song. That's like a Fonte right. song. Like, that's like one right, of those, like, right. damn, like, where the fuck did you come up with that shit? Like, <laughs> you know, like, I, you know what it reminds me of is like, I grew up listening to a lot of like mixtape era Lupe. And right. I feel like that's something that would have been like, you know, like, even like going to, this isn't on a mixtape, but that verse on uh, Pressure, uh, where he talks about and like, and so it seems, I'm sewing seams, and first and 15th is just a sewing machine. Like, the places he took it, talking about jeans, like, I'm like, obviously, like, niggas don't want a whole album of that, but, like, I I love when someone finds a new angle to, like, to really, like, dive deep on and and tell it through rap and through wordplay. Yeah, me too. And, like, and like to tie it back to movies real quick, like, just, like, the bug concept, really. <laughs> there's this, uh, I can't remember, uh, so there's this movie that came out. It must have been in like the late '90s, maybe the early 2000s, called Joe's Apartment, and yeah. it's about yeah, I'm familiar. So like you, so like you remember like I think like maybe maybe it's like throughout. It's been it's been a minute since I've seen it, but like there's some part of the movie where like the bugs like start talking, and mm-hmm. it's just like them like running around the apartment and like I yeah like I think he's high or something, and like yeah like he's zooted and the bugs start talking to him. And like that's yeah, what I yeah. thought of. Like I was thinking about like 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 that song unlocked this like really deep memory in my brain. Like yeah, in, in like in like yeah. my like wow, it just really took me there. And I was like, this is. <laughs> it was yeah, just. I think Jack sent me a clip of that that clip from from Joe's apartment when when we were working on the song, and it's like it also like we could talk about like a bug's life and ants and, of course, and a lot of yeah. stuff, you know. It's like it feels like part of that kind of like late nineties, like early two thousands kind of. I don't know. Yeah, and like and yeah, like to kind of bring and like to kind of bring this all home, because we've made it to the end of the album. Like, what um, like making an album like this and doing it with a film, like a short film, um that's a really interesting dichotomy because of the way that like usually like when you listen to an album like you start to make your own pictures in your head right and but like there but like here you have like like I've always appreciated this because you have like you have pictures to accompany all these songs you have images and shit that's already like baked into it so um what's so like is that something that you kind of had in mind while you and rubber band and everybody involved were like making this like were you like were you making this 
in a like were you making this in a way to kind of like give people things to see that they wouldn't see if they just heard the album hmm. uh, the short answer is yeah i think we we wanted to build a world for people i think a lot of my favorite like i think back to outcast like anytime i listen to bombs over baghdad like i see the kids running through the purple field um or like you know when i listen to roses i think about them in the letterman jackets and and uh there's so much like iconic imagery even going back to like earth wind and fire and those album covers it's like i think uh all of my favorite artists world built and uh, as an aspiring world builder, this is really my first chance to really go deep on that uh, and express something that that at its root is bigger than just uh, than just, you know, notes and, and rhythm. You know, it's like it's ideas, it's concepts, it's memories, it's themes. It's like an experience that a lot of black people share. And um, I feel really proud of the way that we were able to give give life to that and and create something immersive enough for you to kind of like step in it um, rather than just kind of like, you know, and I hope people create their own images for it too. You know, I'm sure there'll still be that and things that remind you of certain like memories you had as a kid growing up. Like I hope people re relate to it in that way as well. But I think we, we were blessed to have a chance like during a pandemic to really create something so expansive and I'm, I'm, I'm really happy with it. Yeah, and something so expansive and something that speaks so much to you and is like really you like showing up like this is me like not even this is me now yeah. but like this is me period yeah yeah this is very much like a foundational project like as much as like you know it's lp2 but you know i now feel at ease going other places musically and sound wise with people understanding like this is my heart like this is my story this is like where i come from and uh, I think it was important for me, more important than I even realized while I was making it, to make that thing that kind of plants the flag in the ground of, of who I really am um, so that people can really get to know me. I think there's like a, a, a certain amount of yourself that you have to expose in art to make anything worthwhile, you know, and I, I finally feel like I've, I've, I've done that. I've been like transparent to to a to a greater degree, and now going forward, I'm excited to build on this and and create new worlds that that both speak to all the things in this world, but go go other places that people don't expect yet. And yeah, like getting that confidence is like like that confidence is everything. Like confidence is really the like confidence is the make or break factor that like really pushes people forward. And like you're forward. Like you're here, you made it. So, um, yo, this was this was so enlightening and so dope. Like, thank you so much for yeah, even man. taking the time. Like, oh, thank you for having me, bro. You know, like you were one of the first people, you know, outside of like, you know, very close people working on it, close friends at home. You were one of the first people I, I played this record for, and uh, I really appreciate everything you you do, everything you write about, and, and especially this new podcast. I've been tuning in and. Um, you know, it just made sense for us to, for us to link, you know? Hell yeah, man. Thank you for the trust. Like that means everything to me. Like, especially, especially because like we, like we weren't close growing up. So like, we kind of right. like, we, like, like we connected after we had already grown. So, you know, right. like that. So like the trust not having been like established 10 years ago and like, but kind of like being as strong as it is now, like that means everything to me. So thank you.
for real. Yeah. And even, you know, absolutely. But like, even there, like we didn't know each other very well, but you know, we know where each other come from. And uh, I think us having that shared environment, let me know a lot of what I needed to know to be able to trust and, and to play a project that this person that's this personal and this attached to, to my own environment. Uh, it just made sense, you know? So man, like just, just thanks. Like, wow. <laughs> thanks for listening. Shout out to y'all for making it this far. And shout out to all the black people listening too, because y'all really impeccable. Don't forget to like subscribe and tell a friend to come through next time. One.